Hello and welcome to Edutalks, the educational innovation podcast at the University of Twente. Live from the campus studio, I'm your host Robin van Emmeloot, and today we'll get serious about serious gaming. Let's play the saxophone. Playing games is something we all love to do. All the way from playing football in kindergarten to beating grandpa at Remy Cup in a retirement home. Our human nature is playful. So why don't we use this playful curiosity in education to make people learn? My guests today use this very uh, concept in their education. And one is a doctor and I believe one is very soon to be one. Both work at the BMS faculty, either coordinating or teaching at courses surrounding business administration... Please welcome Frederik Vos and Vincent Delke. Do I pronounce it right? Delke is the correct pronunciation. Okay. Welcome, guys, to the show. Thank you very much for being invited. Yeah. Um, you're both working at uh, business administration. From what I've read, you're, you're busy with Industry 4.0. Just as a, a very general description, can you explain what that means? Well, uh, it means cyber-physical systems, um, more or less uh, that... Um, uh, interconnected systems are communicating to each other totally autonomously uh, without actually human interaction um, in between. Yeah, when you look into the human side, it's of course the question what will be left for the human here. And uh, what we we are suggesting actually current uh, is working on something like a te- technology enhanced worker. So you see that, uh, for example, in our field, procurement or purchasing, if you want to say it like this, or supply um, chain management, that the professionals are working with a lot of software or tools to make, for example, decisions, looking, for example, to big data analytics. or um, So they use a lot of technology to make decisions. So it's a technology enhanced worker. So that's a little bit what we address within industry 4.0 when it comes to the human side okay yeah. and uh, you, you you're pretty young i might say um i, I might imagine that these terms aren't uh, weren't around when you were studying uh, to get into this field or was it no i think it's like since five years around about five years that it really got traction this was always since already the 2000s uh, even when we did, weren't studying yet uh, in our profession already a lot of this digitalization push mm-hmm. but the really um the autonomous change um really also these discussions about um how digitalization will not uh, might replace people of course but also uh, enhance our work and make our work nicer um, was really also since five years this this very strong push uh, through also the creation of Industry 4.0. Yes, yeah, we have an, a literature, I believe, when you look back to 2011, yeah. uh, between 2011 to 2000, we have a total, I think, about uh, five, uh, almost 5,000 publications mm. uh, on in this area. But uh, as Frederick was mentioning, in the last five years, it's really getting more dense uh, understanding about what is Industry 4.0. When you are in the Dutch context, you are in specific other contexts, you may also recall to smart industries, or um, you can also say something like yeah, smart industry, industry 4.0, they are most often interchangeable used. Yeah. So. Okay. And then the, the, the courses you teach within business administration, do they incorporate this or are they actually about this, uh, this topic? Well, the courses take as a part for the future um, how our working would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, we take it into account. Um, 
Also, uh, of course, the game is also a little bit futuristic, you could say, or the serious game we have, right? because it's also very digital. Mm -hmm. um, so there we take it into account, but we take it more in the, in the big realm of how we do things now and how we will uh, continue in the future. So it's often also a little bit towards the end of a course, when the students already have a good understanding how the processes are already, um, that they can also have a better understanding how maybe possible scenarios look like in the future, and then we usually introduce it a bit. Uh, we have the general approach at our department that we have a, yeah, a standard way of our course. So these are the basic of our field, of course. And uh, we just slightly introduce new and new topics into our course. For example, we have now a currently an educational project as well, which is called the Persist Project, which is funded as an Erasmus Plus project, which is actually looking into the area of Industry 4.0 and how this is influencing the competencies of uh, the procurement professionals. So this is still a, a research project, project with is going on but uh, we intend to include the outcome of this project of course into our courses but uh, this is an ongoing process so it uh, is a step by step we don't uh, currently have a full course on the digital side or the industry 4.0 side of our field but uh, we are slightly introducing new and new topics you integrate it within the education you teach basically Yes, yes, indeed. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And and so you you're working on training your new human professionals, and um, well, one of the courses is then on um, incorp uh, <laughs> purchasing. Purchasing. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, I think this is where the serious game comes in, right? Yes, correct. It was um, the serious game actually came from the idea that. Um, it started actually with me being at a, a kind of professional presentation from professional association mm -hmm. towards really purchasers. And that was at that time a role-playing game, actually. It was not digital at all. And there we really um, had the context of um, with several people. I was one of the, the role players that played like um, yeah, like a supplier. And the, the, um, the, the professional purchasers there were actually trained on how they um, have to react in a crisis. Um, and... They took a lot of effort actually to do this um, because you had needed to have like four or five actors that acted like as suppliers and other stakeholders. And you had these uh, people that want to learn something. And I was in this training. We found the idea actually very, very nice to uh, to train really with some real life examples and to really have some sort of, um, yeah, uh, that they have a problem to face. And then we thought like, can we do something similar for the students? And then the it continued that we said, well, we cannot have like the half department uh, uh, work-wise also to act as these kind of actors. Mm -hmm. But then we said, hey, let's digitalize this and let in a digital way um, our students experience the same what we experienced even in this professional uh, situation in which they actually have to really face problems. And uh, so actually and that, then the idea came, let's be, let them be a manager yeah, because that's what they hopefully will be in future, a real manager um, in an organization in a digital form. So they can actually already experience things in a digital form, which they uh, might not be able to somehow experience um, anyhow differently. Okay. Yeah. And um, did you get inspired because you, you play games yourself? or? Um, uh, I, uh, I think we all, uh, when we have a certain <laughs> age, uh, our, the younger people usually played games. And um, I was also, I was actually generally in, inspired by this idea of um, of interaction, of um, making also a bit of challenge. And the game also has a very nice competitive element in it mm -hmm. um, that actually students have to play a little bit against each other. And that's actually what I personally always like. Of course, we 
always cooperative is also nice. <laughs> so we should be cooperative, but in the uh, on the other hand, also have a little bit of competitive thing in it. It's always somehow uh, yeah makes makes it more interesting yeah? to also maybe study when you have a little bit a positive competition in there. You could say. Um, and yeah, so I generally thought that's a very nice idea to implement it. And that's why I also, uh, yeah, uh, that's why we came up with the idea. Let's do a digital. And um, the, the name is uh, Suplay, if I'm saying yeah. correctly. Yeah. Uh, what does it stand for? Um, it's actually a, a mixture of uh, supply. So purchasing <laughs> supply and play. So that came from it. It there took us go. quite a while to come to that name. Nice. <laughs> it took us really, we asked all our colleagues and everyone for input, like how can we can, uh, call this name? And then also there are some already that have names, but had other names and that were already taken because we also want to have a, uh, we want to have a domain and all this kind of stuff that also complicated things. Yeah, and this uh, uh, so play, supply and play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I was thinking maybe you were inspired by games like Roller Coaster Tycoon or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, you, you once were educated without such a tool. You, you, you were educated uh, when you were getting into the field by these role-playing games back, mm -hmm. back then. Yeah. So this was really for you personally like, hey, if I'm ever going to get into the subject... Uh, all I want to do is have at least some sort of digital way of working. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And wh what do students think of it? Well, uh, then also Vincent can add a little bit to this um, mm. because he's right now, because I created the game and also did the first um, yeah, trainings uh, or lectures, you could say lectures on this. And Vincent is now continuing this to really do operationally um, that stuff. And actually students really, really um, love to have something different first. That's already something when um, they don't have their standard frontal way of teaching. And especially now that it's um, this digital, that's uh, a little bit um, against each other, but also they can cooperate in the game so it's actually both in the game they really like this kind of of um playful learning because we mix very nicely we always give first a lecture which we give them uh the content so we first teach them then they have to apply it and then we reflect on it and it's some sort of um it's like an educational circle you could say mm -hmm. that we always uh, uh teaching applying and then reflecting teaching applying reflecting and we always go um through this a lot and so the students really enjoy it and um and uh, they actually also really learn something. And actually, Vincent did uh, even some, uh, yeah, can, you could say formal experiments on this, actually how effective this is and how the students are actually um, yeah, experiencing it and improving on it. Maybe, Vincent, you can say something. Yes, <laughs> of course. Like comparing to regular education, regular frontal, that's the sort of research you've, you've been trying out. Yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, we were having, or having a great experience on this because we were able to teach a traditional frontal lecture uh, as a normal lecture, as you know, all know it. And um, we can compare it to an yeah, experiment group, a control group where we play the game. So our frontal lecturing was within our um, courses, which we used in the past. It's exactly the same content, but then we moved it to with its game environment. And uh, there we have now the experience on how well actually our game works. And uh, when we put it number-wise, we could even say that our game students outperformed our traditional lecture students in the exams. We're talking here about uh, 0 0.5 uh, when you look into the grades, but it's still a difference, right? Um, so it's half a point or half a grade difference, which is actually quite good. But um, your first question was a little bit into the area, do students actually really like the game, yes or no? And uh, it's really difficult to, to judge whether it's um, a game they like, because most of the time you get a quite biased answer when you answer your student of, of 
okay, is it a nice game? What do you think? Yeah, you put a lot of effort and it looks good. Uh, so mm -hmm. we are all happy to use it. But uh, we also took some measures on, for example, engagement. How engaged are you within the game? Uh, does it relate to your interest? Uh, was it uh, also um, related to the course that we give? So there was a lot of control variables on this. And um, what I actually really liked is indeed this mixture of having a lecture where you get the content provided and then in the game really applying the content that they learned. And uh, that's what I really like. Yesterday, actually, I had a barbecue with a couple of students and they were just mentioning, oh yeah, the game that we played, it was something else. It was something fun. It was something uh, new. And we didn't expect you were that it's really that realistic because I played the game now two weeks ago, I believe, with uh, master students. And I asked them, what's the most interesting part of the game? And that's interaction. We are able to create with this online environment that we have a quite realistic situation where students have to interact with each other. And Frederick was mentioned the competition that they have. Because every decision that the student group is taking in the game will influence the performance of other group uh, in the game. So you will not play against a computer, let's say like this, but you really play against the other groups in the world, which is quite realistic for our discipline of purchasing supply management. Because when the competition is doing something, it will have an impact on the prices that you will be achieving. So uh, that's uh, quite interesting. And that's the part that I really love, the interaction. And maybe also very important to note is that we actually make also student teams that play together um, as a team. Mm -hmm. And there, that's also very important that we don't let them just play individually, but we let normally make uh, teams of two or three people because then they also interact a lot and they learn a lot from each other by looking at the game, discussing the lecture, how do we have to interpret it? How do we have to apply this in the game? And so we, we make actually, you could say blended in a way mm -hmm. um, that they have to um, yeah physically really be together, talk with each other, think about a strategy, but they always do it together because they're a team. Um, But on the uh, uh, and then on the other hand, also think what will the others do. So that's then an aspect that I also really like to think about. Okay, what strategy can the others do? What do I have to do uh, to counter this or to be better than them? And yeah, in the end, um, interact uh, digitally again. And uh, and because the game is also very open, you see everything. A lot of information is given, given which you also have to interpret. And it's always very good when you have several people that they have to interact. So that's also one of the the key game elements is also that they are also working together, that they are a team, and that they have to learn how to work with another person and to learn from each other. So, so I can imagine that. Um Of course, you, you look. You can look at very basic things like like the grades, but like the social cohesion of uh, within a course without within a year uh, can be a lot improved by doing such interactions in your, your course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what we also do is we. Um, it's also the question: How do you form the groups? Mm -hmm. And um, where well, we right now use it more, the game also. Um, yeah, of course, uh, we connect now an exam to it, but they don't get a grade for their performance in the game. We just want them to really experience and enjoy the game in a way, um, and they can really see that they really uh, also like this aspect. When we then then because then we can also mix the groups because otherwise you get a lot of discussions on oh I want to stay with the people that are good because I want to have a awesome performance but what what we usually do is we sign randomly the students so also the students that usually don't really talk to each other they actually talk to each other in these groups and that also creates quite a cohesion um or nicer nicer collaboration within the whole yeah study or the whole cohort you could say uh because we let them mix and then they get to know people they don't know beforehand 
And uh, do you pick on, on based on sort of skills or something, or is it just random? Like we're making sure at least they're not with their their usual friends together. Yeah, it could totally be random, yeah, I would yeah. say. So we basically uh, give everybody a number and then uh, we mix the numbers uh, and uh, choose the teams. So there's uh, no no um, underlying variables that are selected okay. to make the teams. It's totally random. Yeah, Of course, it could be in future would be even some sort of experiment just to put different people together, like this kind of color idea that you have mm-hmm. different colored people, more the technicals, technical people, more the uh, uh, communicative people. We could maybe do something like that in future, but yeah, right now uh, we do just uh, this random because then we also think then, yeah, it's best, like really a very nice mix we get. Yeah. I can also imagine that it's, it's quite a hassle to set up uh, such a game in a, for every course. Um, is no. that true or? Yeah, when it runs once, I think it's uh, perfect. It's uh, good to do. Uh, we even had the experience that um, Frederick was running it in the class and due to the COVID situation, I had to stay home. So Frederick was actually managing the class and I managed uh, the, the rest of the environment from home. So that was even possible. But um, setting up the game is not uh, the biggest issue anymore because we have a way on how to teach it now. So there's a scheme. Okay, there's a lecturer after the lecture, 45 minutes playing the game, then comes a reflection part. So there's really a process into it. And that makes it quite easy to schedule the lecture because it really fits into this 90 minutes. You have 45 minutes of micro lecture or really dense lecture. And then you have about 45 minutes of uh, playing the game and reflecting. So this fits in our module quite well. Um, when you preparation wise, yeah, we have to organize the groups. Yes, you need some, um, some method to form groups between two and three players uh, and we have to organize uh, the worlds so for example when we do it with our um, students which are currently about around about 70 in our class we play in two worlds so we don't make the worlds too large and in these worlds the groups are competing with each other so we have to divide that from the beginning and uh, f- set, uh, say, uh, tell the students, yeah, you belong to the world one or you belong to world two. And in world two, you belong to group number three. But uh, we currently do it via a, a mailing system that we use to inform them what are their credentials to what world do they belong, what's the link to the game. So yeah, everything is quite standardized now and works. So I would say um, setting up the game is not the issue at all, especially due to the fact that the game is designed as a module-based game. Yeah. Maybe Frederick yeah. can explain something on this. Yeah, um, I need to laugh a bit when you ask like this because yeah, the running now went very well, but the really getting to a game, developing the game, um, because we put a lot of effort into first the whole educational design, learning object, thinking about learning objectives, how we want to achieve them, how we do we put it in the game. And then we created a whole even set of slides, standard slide, like some sort of um teachers set uh, you could say where uh, we can also give it to other teachers which we also plan right now to also roll it out for other universities where uh, we also will train other teachers hopefully in future um, that they can also give um, this game lecture this game without even us being there mm. but especially the road towards mm. uh, really setting up the game and getting everything running because it really was uh, took uh, I think it's five years, six years now that the first idea came up of having the game. And it really take, took like three years, uh, I would say three, four years to get a really stable game, which doesn't have hiccups <laughs> anymore because especially because they have to put in numbers and then then already like when one puts in a zero or something, then the whole system can just crash uh, mm-hmm. when you're not aware of this. Uh-huh. Um, and there are a lot of calculations behind this. And so 
now it runs, it runs very smoothly, but it was also a lot of work put into actually developing this. Yeah, I think uh, serious gaming is a very fascinating topic, but it's yeah. also a very long road before you can actually use such a theme. Yeah. Uh, then it's great for people who are doing the exact same uh, sort of course, same learning objectives that they can use Subplay uh, as well. Yes, correct. Now, now I'm saying it correctly. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but yeah, for, for new people who want to get into serious gaming, it's, it's quite difficult. Yeah, uh, but if if you have some tips, uh, like yeah. like what if I want to get into serious gaming, what should I consider? Um, yeah, what you should consider, or like I can tell you a little bit how our process was. Yeah. Um, um, it's a little bit difficult to say that so directly, but sometimes you have in the end of the year some money over. I uh, know you don't know this public organization, and that's why I was just at this training, and then I think we had a, a certain amount of money uh, over, and then we thought like, hey, let's. Um, Let's try to make a first skeleton, a first idea of a serious game. And yeah, what you need to have when you um, when you develop such a game, you need to have a, a relative good understanding of what you actually want to achieve and how the serious game is actually really a benefit to what you're doing. And then you need also someone who can actually, and it depends whether you have it here at the university or not, you need also really someone to, when you want to have it digital or online, you really need to have also a programmer. You really need someone who can uh, manage the technology, can manage the, um, yeah, really the, uh, set it up in a way that you want to have it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you need generally also project manager, that was me in this case, really someone who thinks um, really more, uh, along the whole project, what do we need, what kind of uh, setup do you may need, what are, in this case, websites do we need, how does the design have to look like? Um, and, uh, um, yeah, it depends how you do it. When you do it digitally, you unfortunately need also quite some amount of money, unfortunately, because programmers cost a lot of money. When you have already good contacts in the university and you might be able to harness, and that's what we could do, which we didn't do in this case, but when you can harness a little bit also the possibilities, which we have, for example, uh, the design lab has also some programmers. You might be also able maybe to discuss with them whether there are some, uh, smaller versions of this game available. As I said, it was really, it took like three, four years for this game and, uh, uh, I, I would say, and I did it during my PhD at that time, and I think it took half a year <laughs> of full-time work, at least, I would say, of really working on this game. Yeah. So uh, The, the then, exact game design, every mechanic, everything really has to be thought of, of yeah, by you in this case. Yes. And then uh, yeah, the actual execution, that's where you get uh, yeah, preferably a good team or a very good programmer at yeah, least yeah yeah and, but it's also uh, important to know that we did it all from bottom up so we had no clue how we have to do it uh, mm -hmm. we, we asked one little bit educational expert but he just generally spoke about yeah we have learning objectives that have to fit in the yeah, that doesn't help you in, so much in that case constructive alignment <laughs> yes. that yes. addy model yeah that is also very good but then for actually doing the work and really how do we do this now actually yeah uh, that is a little bit more difficult but uh, so that's also what i think you, it's good when you have the ideas to speak to people uh, yeah, like me or some people that have done it before because I think it, we could have done it faster and would have made maybe a few less mistakes uh, in the beginning if you would have known already had a, had a little bit more background knowledge and how the process works and how actually to steer also for example a programmer uh, uh, 
which is also in itself already a big challenge because programmer, <laughs> like at least the programmer we had, he tried to think a lot with us, but in the end, uh, when I, uh, when, when the one that developed a, f- a certain algorithm and I didn't think about there could be a zero in there and there could be suddenly a division through zero, he didn't think about these things. So when it then sometimes happened in the game, then suddenly the whole game just mm. stopped and then we needed to fix it, of course, very fast. But these are little, these are very detailed things, but they're also broader management things, which uh, when you think about doing such a game, it would be good to just to ask two or three people which have done the same trajectory a bit for some tips um, and thinking about, hey, what would be good choices? And there are actually also companies out there that do professionally um, creating these games. But because our game was so so out of, of everything else, uh, because of this competitive element, which is almost no other uh, serious game, we decided to really go blank sheet with a very new programmer. Um, and in the end, we were very lucky and mm. very happy. The programmer put a lot of effort in there. I think uh, he didn't get the payment. He should have gotten <laughs> He put a lot of more effort in there. Then, But um, I think uh, it, it would go smoother if we would have, uh, with knowledge now, if they would have had it in the beginning, I think it would have went much smoother. I think it's also difficult to uh, have the balance between how realistic is the game and how easy is it to make. Because um, in our case, uh, we base it on a real life case, which is basically a company that is um, producing beer. So this is uh, the case example that we use in the game. And of course, when you have a company which is really active in a real life environment, it's really complex. A lot of complexity comes into it. And how much of this complexity are you able to transfer into the game before it gets too large, too big. So yeah, the game is basically a simulation game. So it's um, it's a, a simplification in that sense to a real life scenario. And uh, I think that was especially challenging mm-hmm. to get the balance between, okay, how much can we actually program into the game to make it realistic uh, or uh, to make it workable? And on the other side keeps yeah, this realistic aspect. So I think that's a balancing, balancing that you have to do, a lot of decision, what do you want to bring in? Because the first versions of the game were even more complicated than the version that we have now yeah. because we had all, or you, Frederick and uh, Holger had the, these perfect ideas about, okay, we need to do this and need to do that. It was getting way too complicated. So now it's a little bit more simple, but uh, I think that helps, especially the students understanding on what they are doing. And also in the first um, situation or in the first version of the game, we missed a little bit the the gamification aspect of it actually we had it too realistic and it was almost too boring because <laughs> it was so realistic so that's why then we really thought about that there needs to be something ha- needs to happen in the game where students have to suddenly do something and there have to be some some surprising moments or some to also keep them going through the game because when they just have to can just click through and just put a number and then they're like oh yeah that's it then there's not so much um, also challenge in the game and that that was really also something which uh, was then after we had the first version also very uh, important. There was also quite some discussion points with uh, Holger, uh, who is a little bit then there. It's a professor who kind of uh, made this all possible, with whom I, of course, spoke a lot about the content. And he gave also a lot of content advice. And he also wanted it always super realistic and always wanted to have it. And then I sometimes need to say, yeah, but then it either makes the game too complicated or um, it takes the game aspect out of it, uh, that it makes it 
uh, yeah, that, that certain, certain numbers that certain numbers might not hundred percent anymore reflect how it might be a reality. Um, for example, some investment budgets they have, or that they have, have just hours for people that they can invest into certain projects because they have also invested into projects. And we try to base it as good as we can on on practice. But sometimes in the game we notice would be maybe good because we have so many different projects to so maybe increase a little bit the hours, for example. So they have a little bit more hours than you would have in real life. But that makes the game more interesting because they have more choices and they hmm. can do more and these kind of things. Um, so that's just a lot. Of play testing, changing variables all the time. Yeah, how many different iteration can you still count them on one hand? Or um, yeah, in the beginning <laughs> we really did a lot. Uh, we 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 ask a lot of um, uh, people to play with us in the beginning to get a, a balance. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, we're still not hundred percent sure how it works. Like in the sense of. Uh, we found right now a good balance of also the numbers we have and everything works fine, but it was also kind of really trial and error that we found out now uh, because it's really difficult when you have a lot of variables how to get it correct. And mm-hmm. it's actually learning by doing it. Still every year we think, okay, we could make this number a little bit higher, this number a little bit lower, that we have a little bit more competition because they also have to decide whether they are more going for the price or for the quality. It's a strategy mm-hmm. choice. And uh, there we often see uh, then in the end, okay, the, the ones that play price, normally they're a little bit higher ranked than the others. We have to adjust a little bit some things in here. Yeah. Um, yeah. We also stress a little bit uh, the students here because um, yeah. I think in the beginning, uh, let's take, uh, for example, 2018. Yeah. Uh, 2018, I was the first time that I was uh, hosting the game as a teacher, right? And uh, Frederick uh, warned me, yeah, there's sometimes some glitches, but uh, it should work and there <laughs> could be an issue, but no problem at all. Uh, basically, what uh, we had come down to was uh, that uh, I had always a programmer in my pocket on my phone. So in <laughs> case something breaks down, I can directly call the programmer and he will fix it. But uh, we basically had in 2018, and then I played the first version like um, without any problems, I believe 2019, three modules, which were working perfectly. And um, the modules increase in complexity. Maybe we come to how a serious game works actually in a second. But so they increase in complexity. And module one, two, and three were actually working quite well. That's what I also included in the experiment. And then now we have module four, which is more into yeah an auction approach, for example, which uses a lot of interaction and the system in there. And I think it works now, let's say for 85% it's working. And sometimes the one auction is not working, so we have maybe to fix that issue. But that one, so module four is also working quite good. And module five is the beta version currently. It's it's there, I think, the market module that we have. Yeah, yeah. It's It works. But it's uh, still okay. There can be a glitch. We can have to fix something. So um, when you play module five currently, again, you will have the programmer or Frederick yeah. on your phone. And then yeah, I think here's something not working. And then you evaluate currently. Yeah. So we also use sometimes our students also, we always try to introduce something new again to have like the last year kind of, we also tell our students it's like the guinea pig year. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that we say, uh, because this game is played in years, we call it year, year one, two, three, four. And it's also the lectures, one, two, three, four. And, um, yeah, then, then we always try to introduce something new that makes the game even more interesting. But that's always kind of after they already had a nice experience. <laughs> then we say, now we try something with you a little bit out of the box, uh, thing. Yeah, and, I think the students don't have a problem with it, actually, because yeah. um, when their first uh, three modules work well, they see, okay, lots of, lots of effort is in this one and it works quite good. And then you say, okay, now comes our beta version module and uh, we know there's maybe so- still some problems, but we try. 
then uh, some students are really like, oh, cool, we are involved in the development process. Of course, there will be some students like, okay, why do they use something which is not completely finished? But I think most of yeah. them are really liking our innovative approach of teaching, where we really just try something real, real life in the class. I can assume if you're just transparent about it, like, hey, we're trying it out as well. Yeah. Uh, please be a part of it. I can imagine as a student that that'd be fun. Yes. Take part in that. Yeah, they like to. So, yeah, well, we're talking a bit about, about betas and, uh, and such thing. Um, what major challenges still lie ahead then? That's a final question. Um, or maybe we relate a little bit also to generally uh, also these kinds of stages we have because a serious game, when you do something like this, it needs to have, because usually you want to have it in the end a little bit more complex that they really learn mm -hmm. something more in depth. And that was, uh, was Vincent already yeah. referring to that uh, also figuring out what are these stages um, because we would go into complexity stages. We would begin with a very easy that they just know how to play the game very simply. And then we would go, the next stage would then add, in this case, for example, first they just need to buy bottles, and then they need to buy also hop and do some little projects. And then the next higher stage is even they do even bigger projects, um, and even then something happens, and then they have to react to it. And then even one higher is that they can really make even more strategic choices. And that's also a little bit, was a challenge to a little bit think of... Um, how do we have to make these steps that there are far enough that we can reach very nice um, learning objectives, but also not too far that we will um, yeah, lose half of the students because no one knows anymore what's going on. Yeah, yeah. not overwhelming them instantly. Yeah, and also uh, figuring out or finding ways that students actually learn something because you have also risk with these serious games that students at a certain point just put in numbers just just say yeah, like just uh, whatever i don't know what's going on i just mm. i just do something and then something comes out that's what we also have for example there's another serious game the fresh connection where also this can sometimes happen where just put in numbers and they then you ask them why did you do this and they cannot answer to you and that is something also we, we want to avoid that uh, the students in the end play the game and they in the end they say oh it's a nice game but in the end you ask hey do you know why team one was the best and the other team not, that they can actually give an answer to this mm. and not that they are just like, no, I can also not say it just, it was a nice game to play. <laughs> but yeah, someone won, someone didn't win, but I, I, uh, I, I don't know why. Yeah. I think uh, also a challenge uh, when you ask about challenge is the timing in the lecture itself, because, mm. um, yeah, we have this micro lecture and then we play the game and playing the game takes some time and, uh, some students are faster, some are slower. So you have to get a little bit of feeling on how much time they do to make their, how much time it needs to make, make the decisions. Uh, so I think that was also a little bit a challenge to organize this interactive part of the lecture and, um, getting them in the, yeah, in this, yeah environment where they really want to reflect on the decisions that they take because at the end of the the round this year they see exactly what uh, the other students are doing and how their performance is compared to to their own and then they have to reflect on okay maybe i should uh, take also this decision because apparently it paid off for them or maybe i have to go into that area and um, outperform them in this sense so there's uh, this reflection part is really challenging at the end also as a teacher to get the students really engaged into the game and then reflect with them together for a moment just to get them going into this reflection because uh, this this is actually the moment where the, the learning is happening mm -hmm. when uh, students are not only yeah, reading or following the lecture they are not only applying it into the game but then the moment comes where they really heavily reflect on it what's actually happening due to their decisions that's a moment where they really learn and that's a difficult uh, aspect to generate in class yeah yeah and uh, uh, what we also have to realize unfortunately also every year we have one or two student groups that 
unfortunately just play again to play again. Like they mm. just sit, and that's also also the level of realization that um, uh, a game can help to motivate really a lot of students. And normally, almost all are motivated, but. Um, you really need also to put an effort to try to get, to also motivate those groups that are usually sometimes just leaning back and they're just like, yeah, okay, I, I don't get a grade for the how I perform here now, so I just click something because I just have to be here. And uh, that's actually what we also try to do a lot that we then, then doing by, while they play, we walk around, we ask them, how is it? And to actually do in a positive way, try also to motivate those that are sometimes then not so much motivated. But yeah, they, they just us to know that it also always exists, no matter how great you make a game and how much fun it is, that you might always have also some students that are um, having other priorities maybe on their mind hmm. and um, that you can try to motivate them. But unfortunately, also you cannot always motivate all of them. Yeah. And um, due to the fact that we have this really interactive class, it's also difficult to scale it really to large groups. You can imagine that, for example, a frontal teaching lecture, you can do it in a room with 600 people. 600 people can follow this frontal lecture. But uh, doing this game, for example, with 600 people is uh, currently impossible. Mm -hmm. So um, this is a little bit, the scaling can be a little bit difficult in our approach of our game because it's more okay you need to interact a lot with the students and um, also yeah a big yeah lecture like traditional frontal lecture takes you maybe two hours or 90 minutes say say like this um, if we do the game we need more time because you are with the students in the room and they are playing and you as a teacher are in the room as well so from the teacher side playing the game takes a little bit more time and effort i would say or a little bit yeah, yeah. Co comparing to it traditional lecture surrounding it all up but the, the serious game it, it takes some time to get up uh, get it up and running it takes some time uh, and involvement but in the end you get a lot of engagement yeah and uh, a lot of fun for you as a teacher as well i imagine yeah you know, students like i think this. on the student side actually when you look on how much effort the students is putting into it yeah these these game lectures take some quite time yes but uh, the students are not really for the one exam that we do as a test of course um, they are not really have to home study a lot mm. because they use it in the game. They were active in that session, but they don't have to you know, self-study a lot of the materials anymore before they go into the exam. So I think on the student perspective side, it's actually the same time effort that they put in. And also usually the students are very, very in also, there are also a lot of groups, even though I said earlier there are maybe some groups that are not, but most of the groups are really engaged. They're really, you can really feel the way they are sitting there and they're like discussing and they even come to me with very smart questions and say, hey, is this also a factor? And do we also have to take care of this? That you can really feel, okay, they, they also really love this uh, this engagement. That makes me happy as a teacher in the end. Yeah. Mm. Uh, when you, uh, and, and, and also, uh, and normally the last lectures, uh, you almost feel like the students always find it uh, a pity yeah. that we that we stop now and that also calls us for our for us as teachers very nice to see we always get uh, a handful of emails after the game lectures with some improvement uh, recommendation <laughs> from the students yes so for example they they found yeah we took this decision and we expected that outcome but it didn't turn out like that is this a programming fault or is this a mistake from our side and then you're like oh, okay yeah this this is maybe programming so we should <laughs> double check <laughs> yeah or <laughs> we can then discuss to them like, no actually it was meant to be like this because of this, mm, this reason yeah. uh, so that means that so they apparently also <laughs> After the lecture, they are still kind of thinking about it and they still are engaged, which is, I think, not so often the case with our frontal lectures. Mm. Uh, at least for, for my frontal lectures, I usually don't get so many emails no. afterwards, though. And the, the sort of proactive engagement, um, it can be really rewarding, I can imagine. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, 
Thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. If people want to learn more about uh, Supply, they go to supply.com. Is that correct? Or uh, .nl. .nl. Yeah, .com is, then you get into, uh, on another website again, of another company. It's always <laughs> a little bit difficult, but .nl. Yeah. .nl. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Frederik Vos and Vincent Delke uh, for joining me for this podcast. And thank you for everyone at home listening or wherever you are listening. <laughs> this podcast was produced by the video team at the University of Twente. And if you want to consult on your own education or check out the latest educational innovation, you can check out the teams I work at, which are the CELT and TEL teams, the Center of Expertise in Learning and Teaching and Technology Enhanced Learning and Teaching. And if you want to be part of an episode or have any other comments, feel free to re- reach out to us. Our email address is edutalks at utwente.nl. And until the next time... I wish you a very good day. With some more saxophones, please. (laughs) 